If you'd like to turn with me to uh, Daniel chapter 7, and we'll read the first uh, 18 verses. Daniel chapter 7, starting at verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he woke, then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heaven were stirred up the great sea, and four great beasts came out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had wings, eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear, and it raised up on one side, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back. The beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. It had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and his hair on his head was like pure wool. His throne was fury flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him, and the court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beasts were killed, and its body destroyed, and given over to the burned, burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and the kingdom, and all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom one that will not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and my visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one who stood there and asked him the true con truth concerning all this. So he told me, and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are the four kings who shall rise out of the earth. 
But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. So, Father, in. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on his word. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the revelation of the work of Christ that is shown here. And we pray that you would help us to understand your word. And in this, to humbly acknowledge that things appear so different than what your word teaches. And yet we're to walk by faith and not by sight. Strengthen that faith through your word proclaimed this morning with the presence of your spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As we consider God's word this morning, uh, boys and girls, have you ever had a dream? And you woke up from the dream and you tried to relate to mom and dad or to your brothers or sisters what that dream was all about. And some of the things in that dream just didn't make sense. You were one place at one time doing something, and then just like that you moved somewhere entirely different, and things just didn't compute. Well, you think about that and, and the vision that Daniel has here. And what we're coming to in the book of Daniel, the, the historical section has concluded, and we're moving to these times when Daniel has some of these astounding visions. Before it was the king who dreamed. Remember, it was Nebuchadnezzar who had the dream. It was Belshazzar who saw the handwriting on the wall. But now it's Daniel. Daniel receives these dreams, and Daniel is given the interpretation. So there's a, a bit of difference here. But these dreams are similar. These visions that Daniel receives are similar to what we have in the book of Revelation. It's sometimes referred to as apocalyptic. What does ap apocalyptic mean? It, it's, it's a common word in the Bible. It simply means that something hidden is being revealed. That God is pulling the curtain back on time to show us extraordinary events that we can't always make sense of, but he wants to assure us of what he is doing and how he firmly has all things in his hand. Many Christians use the word apocalyptic to refer to the portions of Scripture that deal with the end times. And that's often a, a common notion. Apocalyptic refers to the end times and to a, a cataclysmic destruction of everything. Um, that, that's the broader meaning, the way it's used today. In the 50s and 60s were said to be apocalyptic times. It was after the, the bombings on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the use of atomic weapons, and the fear and the concern that people had so that there were bomb shelters. And, and where we practice earthquake drills back in the 50s, 60s, and the, the, the 70s, to a degree, there were bomb air raid drills. Bombing shelters were sold, drills in schools, just in case there was that apocalyptic atomic war. Well, things have changed today. Uh, we don't fear that so much. But the language is used with regard to the climate. Climate apocalypse is threatened. And if we, we don't get things sorted out, it's feared that 
the earth is going to be destroyed by climate change. And so they're around us. And within the church, there are apocalyptic notions. One of the majority views is that of dispensationalism, which suggests that what we read in Daniel 7 is all about the end times. And it's speaking about what's going to happen right near the end. And so there comes a fascination with the signs and the times and trying to identify who is doing what and when is this going to take place. Well, we're at the place where Daniel was. As Daniel received this dream, his spirit within him was anxious. These visions alarmed him. And he approached one, verse 16, he approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all these things. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. That's what I'd like us to consider this morning. Understanding Daniel's vision. Is there a way that we can read scripture that can help us understand what is going on in this vision? And then this afternoon to apply some of the tools that we've learned this morning from God's word to apply those tools and actually interpret the vision and see what God is revealing here to us. But this morning we're, we're kind of laying the foundation. How do we approach this sort of revelation? And as we do so, there's three points that I would like to consider. First of all, the difficulty of interpretation. Secondly, the direction for interpretation. And thirdly, the place of application. So the difficulty, the direction, and then the place of application. As we consider the difficulty of interpretation, these are difficult passages. And these visions are highly symbolic, and that is why they are difficult. And though they are difficult, it doesn't mean we can't understand them. And it's not to be a closed book. These are given to us by God. They are God's Word. And so we, we need to work to interpret them. Remember 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, all Scripture is God-breathed or given by inspiration of God and is useful, it's profitable doesn't mean there aren't things that are difficult to understand. It is difficult, but it means extra care and work are required to understand what God's Word is teaching. To handle the difficulty, there are three devices or, or ideas, three literary devices or ideas that are helpful to keep in mind, particularly as we consider the prophecies. Not only the prophecies of Isaiah through Malachi, but particularly the prophecies of the end time, which we have in Ezekiel, or even in Isaiah and Jeremiah, but especially here in Daniel 7 and following. And there are three devices that I would like to uh, encourage you to understand from God's Word, how we can faithfully apply God's Word and use Scripture to interpret Scripture. I'll state those uh, uh, tools, those characters, and, and then I'll explain them. So the first is, is the two mountains in one horizon. The second is the telescopic character. And the third is the covenantal character. So as we listen to God's word and as we consider these things, the first character of, of helping us unpack the difficulty and understand some of these truths is to recognize that when, when the prophets are looking at things, they have two mountains in one horizon. And those two mountains are 
particularly in, in the, the Old Testament, are the coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. Now, you know what it's like if you go tramping in the mountains, that you, you see one mountain and you think, I'm going to get to the peak of that mountain, and you think the next mountain is going to be very close to that. Two mountains appearing in one horizon. The first coming and the second coming of Christ, they look like they're stacked right on top of each other, and it's just a matter of climbing one, and you'll have access to the peak of both. But we need to be careful that we not push the horizon so far that we overlook the first coming of Jesus Christ, that we think it all applies to the second coming of Christ. And, and let me illustrate this with, with some of the language that is found with regard to the first coming of Christ, that this is a significant event, and often that is what is being prophesied, the first coming of Christ. Turn with me, for example, to Joel, the book of Joel, and Joel chapter 2 because we're going to learn from the New Testament how this is applied. Joel isn't that far away from Daniel. It goes Daniel, Hosea, Joel. And so we're looking at Joel chapter 2, beginning with verse 28. Now remember there's uh, uh, this first mountain that we need to climb, but it it has language that sounds like it's the second mountain dealing with the return of Jesus Christ at the end. But that's not the case. Listen to what is significant about the first coming and how the Old Testament anticipates this. Joel 2, beginning with verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among their survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Now you hear that language of verse 30, and remember we're dealing with that character of two mountains and one horizon. And it sounds like words that are dealing with the return of Jesus Christ. But if we listen carefully, and if we think biblically about this, Acts 2 actually shows us that what Joel is prophesying is not the end time events, but actually the unfolding of the first coming of Jesus Christ at the time of Pentecost. That with Pentecost, there is the outpouring of the Spirit, and actually Peter, when he preaches, says this is the fulfillment of everything. So that's the first mountain that is being revealed to you here, to us here, and it's those cataclysmic changes that are taking place in the history of redemption that God is accomplishing through the death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that kingdoms are being overthrown, though we don't see it visibly. And yet God's Word is showing us that, no, there's this first mountain that is part of the horizon of the prophets. 
the second character. The second character is the telescopic character. And this is like the prophet is looking through a telescope and focusing on a particular event. And as he focuses on a historical event, there's a historical context that is taking place. But the complete fulfillment, so he, he sees one event, the complete fulfillment may not occur until some day later. So he, he sees an event, he prophesies that it's going to come, but then the full, full fulfillment of it doesn't arrive till later. And it looks to him as though those events are the same size, because he's looking through the telescope. Think of it this way, the example of Nathan, what Nathan promised to David. When David desired to build a temple for God, Nathan said, a son of yours will always be made to sit upon the throne. Now, the near fulfillment of that, of course, is going to be Solomon. But that's not the entire fulfillment of it, because what Nathan has seen is not the, the progression and the development of Solomon, but actually of Jesus Christ. Paul says this is actually the same thing that happens with the seed. The seed that is promised to Abraham, Galatians 3, or excuse me, Galatians 2, reminds us that, that it's, it's not Isaac that is promised, but ultimately the son. And so, so this prophecy comes to show a, a near fulfillment, but also a far fulfillment that will be the ultimate fulfillment, which is in the coming of Christ. Maybe another way to think of this telescopic character is that, it's like a seed that grows to a shoot, and then that shoot grows to a tree, and that tree develops a blossom, and that blossom finally bears the fruit. And it's as though the prophet looks at that seed, and he sees the shoot that's coming out, and he sees that, oh, on that tree there's going to be an apple. So the tree grows and develops, and yet the, the growth and development of the tree isn't the, the full fulfillment of it, it's actually the coming of Christ and what he has accomplished. So the first character, two mountains and one horizon. The second character, the telescopic view. There's a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. And the full fulfillment that comes with the work of Jesus Christ. The third character. And understanding the difficulty. The prophecies are covenantal. They're revelatory and they're covenantal. What we have in God's Word is not simply history written beforehand. These are historical. It's astounding how clear the history is that Daniel is receiving. It has caused some critics of God's Word to suggest that these actually happen after the event because they are so precise about the revelation of history. But history is never designed as the unfolding of facts. God's history is always covenantal. And so as covenantal history, it is designed by God as a summons for God's people to awaken them and to cause us to live properly through faith and repentance. This is how the prophets often came to Israel. There's significant events that are going to be happening. I'm telling you them ahead of time so that when they happen, you will see that my word is true. And what I am calling you to now is to faith and repentance because of who your God is. 
and he uses language that fits his timing. And so he uses language to refer to to the unfolding of the work of Jesus Christ, which is going to be spiritual, but he uses Old Testament language. And you recall that the promises of God were given in terms of Old Testament, and they always dealt with things like the land, the presence of the Lord at the temple, and the people of God being his descendants of Abraham. And so that's the focus. And the prosperity that is promised is in terms of that Old Testament language, but it's designed to call God's people to repentance and faith. And ultimately, in the New Covenant, when when these realities are being fulfilled, we begin to recognize that it wasn't the land or it wasn't the nation of Israel or it wasn't the prosperity and the material well-being of the people that God was concerned about, but it was the spiritual relationship between Him and his people that was significant. That all those Old Testament ways were spiritual summons for their hearts. These prophecies are covenantal. A good example of this is what we have in Revelation, the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation has significant visions about what is going to happen with regard to the persecution of the church and with regard to God's judgment. But remember what the first three chapters of Revelation are about. It's God's word to his church, to the seven churches, so that when they see the unfolding of these astounding uh, uh, times of persecution and astounding judgments of God, it's God's word for his church so that we would repent and believe, that we would know that God certainly, covenantally, is unfolding all things for the well-being of his people. And that's why what we've sung in, in number 405, Lord, her watch, your church is keeping. Wake us up to realize the unfolding, so that we would witness to the world, that we would make known to them that our Lord Jesus Christ reigns on high, that these prophecies have come to fruition, that he has fulfilled, filled them, and that we have a message for the world. So those three characters help us to understand some of the difficulties of these prophecies. But now secondly, the direction for proper interpretation. We must approach with humble trust. The truth is there. It is reliable. It's given by God. We're not to be indifferent to it. There's two dangers. Relativism. It's just a matter of personal opinion. Christians are are so different about how they view end-time events that, that the truth is just too obscure. And so whatever suits you, whatever floats your boat, whatever is your inclination, you just follow that. And if it works for you, that's okay. That's not a a humble trust. That's an arrogant indifference that says, I don't want to deal with these truths. I don't want to work through this. I want it easily divulged to me. God's word takes work. But there's another danger, and that is dogmatism. That we think we have all the answers, and so we don't engage and we don't interact with those who are different from us. 
If we think we have the truth, our responsibility as the church of Jesus Christ is to build bridges, not walls. It's to encourage and build up one another with the truth, to engage those who disagree with us, and to, to, to study God's word together. And we need to recognize that we, we must grow in the knowledge of the Bible. We need to interpret Scripture with Scripture. That Daniel, this recipient of the visions, struggled. He was overwhelmed. He, his thoughts greatly alarmed him. His color changed. He kept the matter in his heart. But he, he went to the one. He went to God. And, and prayer is an essential way to counter dogmatism and relativism and to pray that the Lord would give us insight into his word so that we might have what he has designed here for us to understand so that we would trust him and that we would live for him. Ask others for help. Interpret scripture with scripture. But also beware. Beware of interpreting the signs of the times by the newspaper headlines. That's not how God has called us to interpret the signs of the times. Jesus wants us to know the signs of the times so that we would derive comfort and that we would live our lives according to his truth. So try to understand the near fulfillment. What does this mean for the original audience? What does this mean for Daniel? What hope could he derive? We're going to consider that more this afternoon, but just notice what has happened here. This is in the first year of Belshazzar. It's actually taking us back in time. This is to the Babylonian kingdom. This is to that time when Nebuchadnezzar had died. His son or his grandson was reigning. It was before the lion's den. It was before the Medo-Persian empire. And Daniel has this astounding vision to show that, that God is ruling over all things. Daniel had this vision before the lion's den. Doesn't that help us grapple with why he's praying to Jerusalem? Why he's so bold in his witness? God's word helped him. God's visions directed him. The meaning of God's word is for the church in all ages. And this is helpful for us. Even when much of it has been fulfilled for us to see the wonder of what God has blessed us with in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's the central point of our direction for the proper interpretation. All God's promises, 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20, all God's promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus, as he walks with the disciples on the road to Emmaus as, and unfolds and unpacks for them the wonder of what God is doing and what, how it all God's word reveals him, he would take him to passages like Daniel. And show them. Revelation 1, verses 1 and 2 remind us that the whole book of Revelation is not about the success of evil or how bad things are going to get. What does Revelation 1 say? The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants 
the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. The direction for proper interpretation. If this causes us to see the success of evil, or the direness of our situation, or the difficulties of the interpretation, we've lost the point that God has given it to us. It's for Him to show us Jesus Christ. And that thirdly brings us to the place of application. This prophecy, as troubling as it is, as hard to interpret it as it may be, must always lead us to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We can get so caught up in trying to figure out the intricacies, but notice the wonder of what God's Word is revealing. The one who came to the Ancient of Days, verses 13 and 14, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. When Jesus refers to himself so frequently throughout uh, his ministry here on earth, this was one of his primary references by which he referred to himself. He called himself, not first of all, the Messiah. He was the Messiah, but he referred to himself as the Son of Man, picking up this truth to show us what he had come to accomplish. That he is the one. There came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, which would be his Father, and he was presented before him. Here we see the unpacking of the Gospel. It's as astounding as what was revealed to us in Isaiah 53 that by his stripes we are healed. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. All the transgressions of my people were laid upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Here is Jesus, and he came and he presented himself to the Ancient of Days. And to him, because his redemption was fulfilled and complete, to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. There is something astoundingly real about these revelations showing us the work of Jesus Christ. And this is the place of application. Brothers and sisters, this is an appeal to you and to me for reformation. For going back to God. For going back to His Word. To repenting of our sin and to looking for the rule of Jesus Christ to take place in our life. Remember, that's how the book of Revelation began. Began with, with a word of love and concern and discipline for the church of Jesus Christ. Don't lose your first love. Don't become lukewarm in your walk with God. Turn back. Seek Him and live. It's not a revelation of the growth and progress of evil. It's of the power and the glory and the wisdom of Christ. If we sit back and simply wait for the overthrow of all that is just and good, if we see in this revelation the success of evil and the suffering that the church has to endure, we've misplaced it. It's a call to the church to be militant, to be fighting the battle. It's like the prayer of Daniel in chapter 6, and I believe it's closely connected with that. For us to pray. To pray because 
the war is so intense and we're so sidetracked and distracted by everything going on in the world that we forget the call we have from Christ. It's not to be an amusement for armchair theologians. Not to heighten the speculations of the spectators. It's to give an overwhelming impression of the mystery of God's purpose behind and beneath the conflicts of history an awareness that our Lord reigns. His kingdom is here and Christ is ruling. Will you follow Him? That's essential for understanding Daniel's vision. This afternoon, we will unpack the particular meanings of what Daniel is saying. May God help us to use His Word aright, to strike our hearts in light of the apocalypse that is coming and in light of the apocalypse that has come to follow our King. Amen.